Dave, you're blowing it. Talk Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed is the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Obsessed episode 159 is recorded live May 2nd, 2013. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson coming to you from the Blossom side of the great state of Michigan. Joining me this week, we have Jim Schultz. All the way from Ohio. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm just wonderful, thanks. And we also have, joining us from the east side of Michigan, we have Dave Toneman. How are you doing today, Dave? I'm dry, but doing well. Dry? That doesn't sound good. Unfortunately. No. Is, is there a story behind being dry? Just busy. Busy? Just haven't had a chance to get in the water, but uh, we'll solve that later in the week. We'll save uh, that for later. Okay. Well, let's get the news out of the way. Kind of a moderate news week, but we have a few follow-up stories going on. From last week, if you remember, we were talking about the lobster divers. We have a little bit of additional information this week. This one's from National Geographic. And they have an article talking about the video, My Village, My Lobster. The, it's a film that was launched on Kickstarter, which exposes the danger behind diving for lobster. And it's talks about having 120 accidents a year, 20 of those incidents being fatal, like we talked about last week. What they're doing is they're uh, diving for lobster. And last week, I think we said it was about 20,000 people that were dependent on it. They're saying in this article, it's 50,000 people depend on the millions of dollars raised by the industry. 90% of the lobsters that are caught there in Nicaragua are actually being consumed in the U.S., they said when the, lo- the price of lobster is down, we have to catch twice as much, which leads to an exploitation of the resources. The bulk of the film examines the hard lives of the mosquito divers who work on commercial boats going out for 12-day stretches into deeper waters. The boats have been heading out uh, farther and farther, which means the divers have to go deeper to pick up the uh, lobsters. Each diver is supported by a guy in a canoe who helps him change out his tanks. They work all day into the du- into the dark, the equipment that is often old and in need of repair. When the diver's air invariably gets cut off, he must scramble towards the surface. The rapid ascents off often are the cause of the bends. If it isn't fatal outright, the diver will endure days of pain in a hyperbaric chamber followed by a long recovery time, even though many of the effects are permanent sounds to me like they need to go get rid of the J-valves and start using a gauge. That's I interesting. There's a 30% chance of serious injury in each year, according to the statistics. Uh, in the film, they talk about that people are starting to turn to traps, which could be pulled up the surface. Uh, they've also been working on houses that can be placed in shallow water uh, so they could be collected by a skin diver. I find it interesting that it was funded through Kickstarter. A lot of stuff seems to be funded through them, especially if it's a creative. It seems to be if it's creative or if it's like a technology project that's getting Kickstarter. 
I've got a, a project uh, dive related that I might run through there. And it's not the dry suit, but uh, I'm still working on some notes. It's about it's about project number six. So it'll take a little bit of time to get to it. Hey, Paul. And then another follow up from last week. We have the Kingly Kaylee, K-E-I-G-H-L-E-Y, the Kaylee Divers. Why am I? It just doesn't look right. It's all those things when you say it, you're not sure. So Kaylee Divers. So what they're doing, if you remember from last week, they're looking for the World War II aircraft. They had found an engine last year, and they were going to try and find the tail section. Uh, this last Saturday, they went out and did a dive looking for it, and they got skunked. They, they weren't able to find it. Uh, the plane was lost in January 1945. It crashed into the slope known as the Great Gully during a night exercise. So, but we know how that goes, don't we, Jim? <laughs> yep. Yeah, you can uh, search for something that you're sure is is there and go around it many times. They, I bet when they do find it, they'll be surprised how close they were to it. And then here's an article out of Louisiana area, and uh, it almost appears to be an editorial or an opinion piece, but the author was complaining about the stripping of funds from the artificial reef development. Uh, the Louisiana, Louisiana legislature uh, has taken funds from a 25-year-old uh, budget, the Artificial Reef Development Fund. They have voted to remove, over the next physical year, $26 million from the reef fund. This was constitutionally dedicated dollars to help conserve decommissioned oil rigs into reefs for aquatic purposes. Oil and gas companies pay into this reef fund to increase the fish presence of recreational purpose, to promote ec- ecological research, and to offset the dollars that it costs oil and gas companies to remove the decommissioned rigs. They said uh, decommissioning uh, a rig independent of the refund can cost nearly $4 million. Uh, the Louisiana Wildlife and Fisheries, thanks to the refund, has constructed over 60 offshore reefs from nearly 270 oil platforms. At the beginning of this current fiscal year, the refund had diminished to about $6 million. As of today, around $12 million is in the fund, but as dollars are removed from the refund and added back to general fund with, to help with the state budget cuts, there will be no dollars left for the organization to operate. To date, more than $46 million has been stripped from this constitutionally protected fund. And the author was Don Briggs, president of Louisiana Oil and Gas Association. So you can take that with a grain of salt that maybe he's got a little bit of a vested interest. Uh, we can also say that maybe he, he's a little bit closer to it and knows what it was doing. So it sounds like it's a tax or a, a fee paid in by the oil companies uh, to fund this. See, th- th- that that was probably their first mistake was letting the state hold the funds. Cause it's I'm sure interesting, though. They say it's constitutionally protected, but they can still pull the money out of the fund and put it into the state's general fund? Well, that's yeah, probably... That just does not seem right. Well, does that mean that they literally took the money, meaning that it's never to be used again, or did they just do what happens to most of the funds in the first place, which is they hit the general fund, and even if it says there's $26 million in there, there's just a little bit of an IOU. So It could be. It, it, we'd need a whole lot more information about the... Uh, legal configuration of the fund even but that's the same way that you know you have the epa and the super fund i mean there's billions and billions in that uh we've we've got the uh, the dredging fund for dredging harbors you know the, i think the reason why many of those don't get spent is because they're 
they're covering for overspending in other areas. And don't forget the big one. It's kind of similar to Social Security. There you go. Your tax dollars at work. Yeah, I, I could I could do a couple hours show just on Social Security. Well, this next one we have a Japanese. Meanwhile, back to diving. Well, back to diving. A Japanese diver said he saw the yellow submarine crash into coral wall. And uh, let me paste this into for those in the chat room so they can follow along. And uh, I also have another second article. There was quite a few articles. I was trying to find the video. So what he did is he's down there diving, and he was videotaping. Uh, had a clear conditions that day, and he just happened to catch on tape what appeared to be a yellow submarine crashing into the reef. He posted the video on YouTube. It went viral, and it created all sorts of a stir. The uh, sub's owner, the Cebu Yellow Submarine, uh, is claiming that what you're seeing on the tape is not it crushing into the coral, but uh, more just the air and other stuff. So I guess there's a crushing sound in the video, which, like I said, I was trying to find it. I couldn't find it on YouTube. Uh, but when you go, it looks like since they originally posted it, divers have gone down and verified that there's definitely a damage section about the location of where the video was taken. And they said it's much bigger than what could be done with somebody with their scuba fins. Let's see here. Paste another link into the chat room. The day after uh, the crash happens, the operators denied that any crash took place. A team of divers representing the Lapu-Lapu city government inspected the site 20 meters below sea level. They found fresh broken pieces of coral and other debris. Must have been caused by a contact with a rigid force. Uh, the, the diver who took the video said he just wanted to share the video with friends. He had no intention of stopping the business operation of the tour submarine. Uh, he's due to fly back to J- J- uh, Japan next week, but he said he's willing to testify uh, if needed. Is it just me or does it seem like there have been an awful lot of Philippine coral reefs being hit recently? They must have like some sort of magnetism. Yeah, that one up there where we had the American mine uh, sweeper or de- uh, detector. Detector, not detector. Mine sweeper. Isn't that what it is? Yeah, and there was another one. Yeah. And there was another one here a couple of weeks ago, if I remember right. I saw on. Uh, yeah, that one was uh, was uh, some smugglers. They had a load of uh, anteaters. They had a load of uh, legally taken anteaters, or they claimed that it was legally taken, but they were sneaking <laughs> around. So one end of the transaction, either the acquiring the anteaters or the distribution, was going to be illegal. But they they hit the reef. Uh, so, yeah, that, it's not been a good time for Philippine reefs. So I'm surprised that anybody on the submarine didn't notice it. Would it be possible that you would you could be in the submarine and not hear it crush? I would think that it would ring like a bell inside of the sub. Yeah, that would be something you remember. I'd, I'd actually be a little nervous if you're in a submarine. Much safer out in, the, in a wetsuit, in my opinion. I'll agree. And then we have a competition of sorts. I know that some people do a mile swim, but this one's a little bit more my speed. Only a, It's a mile total, but between four divers, that makes it a core mile piece, and it's done while scuba diving. Uh, Cayman Islands are hosting the Caribbean's first scuba mile. It's part of the annual Flower Sea Swim Red Sail Sports. Together with Aqualung and Dan, they're hosting the Caribbean's first scuba mile relay race. Teams of four divers will come together to race for a cause on the 15th of June. All proceeds 
will go to the Cayman Scuba Mile. Oh, from the, the Cayman Scuba Mile, go to the Special Olympics Cayman Islands. They said, we encourage all qualified divers in the Cayman Islands, as well as other countries, to participate in the Scuba Mile Relay Race. Our very own divers are putting together their own teams as well. We'll be enjoying an entertaining day for everybody involved, especially those who are competing, as their participation will also contribute to a great cause. And that was according to Rod McDowell, Operations Manager at Red Sail Sports. I wonder if you can use a scooter. I'm guessing you can't. <laughs> a quarter mile, that uh, you know, running that doesn't seem like far. That's a pretty good, pretty good distance yeah. underwater, but sounds interesting. Yeah, they said uh, each team consists of six people. You have four divers and then two uh, snorkelers. I wonder if the snorkelers are ju- there just for safety. That's kind of the way it reads. Yeah. So I wonder how they start. Is it like on a, a relay race where you have people, they have markers at you know a quarter mile, half mile, three quarters, and a and a mile, and you kind of hand off a baton or something? I don't know. I wonder if their website has any more. Yeah, I, I, I guess I could have done that. I actually looked on the website. That'd be too easy. And while you're you're looking for that, Jim, here we've got one up at one of our favorite diving spots out of the Sheboygan News. They have a hyperbaric chamber. It is now a place. Uh, McLaurin, Northern Michigan, and Petoskey will have the added benefit of being able to treat scuba divers who have decompression sickness. New equipment will be used uh, for a variety of ailments. Uh, I know one thing they use uh, the hyperbaric chambers for is, is uh, carbon monoxide poisoning. Mm-hmm. Use them for burn victims also. Yes. Yeah, the, to, uh, the help for healing. Mm-hmm. The uh, uh, local dive center up there, who is a Dan industry partner, offers CPR, first aid, and oxygen first aid courses from Dan. The photo in there is pretty interesting. Is the monitor so that the person in the chamber can watch movies while they're in there or so that they can see the room around them that they can't see through the wall of the chamber? I think I'm going to guess it's to deal with um, claustrophobia and then so they can see who's visiting them because it doesn't look like you have a lot of room. They're, they're a little bit more. The, I, I remember seeing a video of Jacques Cousteau on one of his uh, Undersea World of Jacques Cousteau episodes, and they had a decompression chamber on the boat, and it looked like the size of a small torpedo, and they shoved the guy in. And this one here looks like about four times the diameter of that one. So, uh, Jim, are you aware if there were any, uh, any other chambers in that area part of this? I'm not sure. I thought the last one was up in the Sioux somewhere. Yeah, there there could be, and there's a there's an app on the iOS phones that will actually show you where all the the chambers are. Well, you know, in hearing all the cutbacks, it's good to hear that somebody is putting together uh, a new hyperbaric treatment facility that divers can have access to. Yeah, well, because what we've run into, if you look at the one that SAS has, that's an amazing facility. That one's huge compared to these. These are the new style, are these smaller ones? And I think the reason why everybody's going to them is just the cost to the the larger ones and uh, what they can get reimbursement for. Don't forget to paste it, Darren. What, the hyperbaric chamber? Yeah. Oh, I didn't give it to him? Here we go. There it is. Thank you. So, excellent. And then now that you got a uh, chamber, what would be better if you're a high school student than getting a school credit for scuba diving? A Canadian Marine and Environmental Science Program is using is allowing scuba diving in the high school for registered applicants of sessions offered this summer. Hold on, I gotta 
let somebody use the charger. What they're saying is a maximum of 16 students can take part in the program to learn about ecosystem, ecosystems and underwater inhabitants. Underwater inhabitants? That would be fish, I guess. In and around the Race Rocks Ecological Reserve, students coming to the program who are already scuba certified will have the opportunity to earn advanced diving certifications and learn about underwater video and produce their own underwater movies. I think that I need to put a program together like this, Darren. I went to their website, and for a U.S. and foreign student, it's uh, 3,700 Canadian, which is just about 3,700 U.S. right now. You know, the great thing about that is that it's a school program. <laughs> so you're going to get some, especially in your neck of the woods over there, you have to have some, some really rich parents who would be willing to fork over some dough. Oh, I'm sure. That's, wow, that's a great idea. It's one of those that makes so much sense. Plus then uh, you, you actually get some potential for some quality workers for the dive shop. Well, not only that, the uh, dive trip to Vancouver Island. Mm-hmm. And then over in the U.K., they have a 500-year-old wreck that has reached a new milestone. This is the Mary Rose, discovered in the early 70s. Uh, when it was still in the water, Prince Charles dove on it a few times as we wait for the article to come up. Uh, scientists have stopped spraying the 500-year-old wreck uh, with a protective wax coating for the first time in nearly two decades. It's Henry VIII's Tudor warship. Gosh, it seems like it should be much older than that. It was dramatically... That would have been 1600s. Yeah, it says uh, 15... Oh, 1500s. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so 1545. Older than the Griffin. Yeah. So what they did is the engineers switched off high-pressure spray jets, which have been covering the hull with millions of liters of water and wax chemicals since the salvage operation that happened in 1982. Wow, that is awesome. They're switching their focus uh, to air-drying the hull with giant fans over the next five years to remove 100 tons of water and set the transparent wax coating that will stop the ancient shipwreck from crumbling apart. The Conservation Trust, the Mary Rose Trust, oversaw the unique project which will preserve the wooden mm-hmm. hull for some 70,000 years. Wow. I don't I know if I... That's probably an estimation. Yeah, I'm, I'm not knowing if I'm really going to buy that. So what they're doing is they're spraying the hull with uh, PEG polyethylene glycol. Uh, the shipwreck has been out of sight for more than three years after she was moved to the grade two listed dry dock in Portsmouth, placed in charge a huge perplex case known as the hot box. Builders, That's a lot of Lexan. Yeah. Builders erected a modern museum and gallery around the hall in a painstaking project which allows visitors to view the ship and thousands of Tudor artifacts like never before. People visiting the museum will be able to walk down a central gangway where they can view the original wreck on their right while looking at a mirror mock-up of, the historic, of how the historians believe the ship looked on the day she sank. The drying out process is scheduled to be completed in 2017 before the hot box casing is taken away. She is the only 16th century warship on display anywhere in the world. Uh, the f- funding for the project was 23 million pounds grant from the Heritage Lottery Fund. The museum hopes to showcase 60% of the artifacts and tell stories behind each of the items. Now, there was another shipwreck where they did the same sort of thing. I'm trying to remember where that one was. That one was in, I think it was Scandinavia, wasn't it? 
and they did a similar process, but I don't, I, I think it started to break down right away as soon as they turned the water jets off. And I can't yeah, that, remember. That's the, the part that's going to be curious. Yeah. Well, I mean, hopefully they learned from the other projects. It'd, it'd be silly if they didn't. Uh, plus, they could always start up spraying if for some reason they had a problem. But when you look at the photo, so I, I imagine that had to have been like a, it fell and lay, laid on its side and then got covered up with silt. So everything that was outside the silt is probably long gone. Right. $36 million U.S. dollars. That doesn't seem like a whole lot of funding to be spraying that for two decades. I would do it with for 30 we got plenty of corn syrup. <laughs> It'll be like, interesting to see what happens to it once they do start drying it out. Yeah. Now, is that is that an advertisement on there? I'm trying to see in the photo. They've got like a little logo hidden in there. Let me see if I can zoom in on that. Whoops. They have the different decks labeled with a nameplate. They show the Kielsen. Uh, I can't read that one. Main oh, deck, gun oh, deck. Yes, yeah, uh, Stern Castle. Yeah, so that's what that is. It's not an advertisement. That would only be in the U.S. or we'd have it. It'd be the Sprint <laughs> Sprint deck and then the uh, T-Mobile and Verizon. Nice. Oh, but they've been spraying that for a while. Because the, the, they're not shy about that. I mean, there's in this photo, where it must have been when they were still spraying it, you can see the liquid just running off. And I'm sure it's pretty well saturated after 20 years of being sprayed with peg and water. Yeah. But it's still going to be interesting to see... You know, I don't know if that's the same as if it were submerged in the peg, but that, it's going to be interesting to watch the conservation process and see how it actually holds up. Yeah, always something to learn. And then if you're not getting out and diving, what's holding you up? As this next story talks about, it is that time of the year, and I think this is going to be a good year for, for diving. We're, we're, we're due. We're overdue. Divers flock to Table Rock Lake now, the clearest in nearly 30 years. A diver, Doug Baker, Barker? I guess Barker would have to have an R in it. Baker peers into the depths of the Table Rock Lake on Monday morning and can't believe what he's seeing. From the deck of the dive boat, ghostly stone ledge tops away and drops away into clear blue-green abyss. The cracks and ripples in the rocks are easily visible 30 feet down, blasting bluegill patrol drop-offs, normally shrouded from clear view by underwater algae haze. He says, if I could taste the salt, I'd swear we're diving in the Bahamas. Said I saw visibility 30, 40 feet, and I said I wouldn't believe it till I see it. Moments later, he's on his cell phone calling his wife to get the scuba gear and bring him down for an afternoon dive. It won't take long once all the divers get in there to destroy the visibility. Everybody (laughs) kicking on the bottom. Says only a light dusting of tree pollen floating on the surface occasionally mars the view. The pictures look rather clear. Yeah, I. This is that's almost like uh, winter diving, ice diving, clarity. Well, I'd be curious to see if the uh, the lakes are that uh, that clear. I know there's some people getting out in Lake Michigan now. Oh yeah. yeah, I I'm betting Lake Michigan is not that clear right now. We've had three weeks of rain and uh, from Everything photos out of the Grand River. Yeah, well, any of the rivers. You had some chocolate milk-like conditions. If we, What you need to do to get really nice, clear conditions this time of year would be about three days with no waves, and I think you, you might have it. Ooh, that, that reminds me. Uh, well, and that does it for the news. Uh, it's, I think it's time to actually take a look at the, the dive buoy. Has it, has it been out yet, Jim? I have not seen anything on it yet. 
doesn't look like they've put the new numbers up yet, but it is the 1st of May, so maybe it'll be there soon. Yeah, it's due. It seems like they need to have one out. It's not like they we're expecting ice to come and take it. Well, I, I knew I wasn't going to get a dive in this last weekend, and I and I didn't. I, mean, it's, I guess it's not hard to predict not diving. Now, Jim, did you get a chance to get anything in? No, I had my last uh, tech prep classes Saturday and then took a test on Sunday. So I plan to be getting wet this weekend. Excellent. Saturday is kind of our gear configuration day. Uh, go out with the doubles and the backpack and, you know, the new configuration and figure out your trim and your weighting and your buoyancy and work on that a little bit. And then Sunday we're going to go out and do the same thing and shoot a bag or two and see how we do with uh, shooting bags uh, from different depths. So it's mostly get experience and uh, get used to diving the doubles and maintaining trim. Well, that, I mean, that's good to start off in a controlled environment and then work your way up. Yep. So probably the next... Uh, Six, seven, eight weeks, we'll be diving every weekend. Oh, awesome. Well, pulling up the buoy page, they say they're they still showing the buoy as being out of the water, but will be deployed soon for the summer season. I'm guessing that we could be any day now seeing that pop up. Yeah, I was just looking at that myself, Darren. I'm looking forward to seeing that because that's a very, very awesome information page. Oh, I, I love it, just to be able to see all that. That level of detail, where the temperature is, where the thermoclines are. And we, I think we were getting pretty good at predicting visibility off that. Yeah, we, we did pretty well with it last year. Able to correlate the water temp to the visibility we were going to see. Now, Dave, you said you didn't get any diving in this week either? No. I got no dives in this week, but uh, this weekend, Saturday and Sunday, I'll be teaching a couple of classes and uh, working at the quarry all weekend. So I expect to get... Uh, a few dives in. Now, is White Star starting to pick up? What, what can somebody expect when they go there? Well, it's starting to pick up. Uh, right now, the last I heard, 43, 44 degrees. Um, the visibility is starting to clear up from all the rain that came through. Once again, you know, all the all the sediment being washed in kind of beats it up a little bit. But visibility is coming back up. The temperature is coming up. And the concession opens this weekend, so air fills are available. Now, is that fresh air? Is that is that what you guys bottle? That is fresh air, just bottled. We had not a lot of work to do on the banks. What's that? What's that, Jim? Uh, you're, you're not going to use any last year's air, are you? No, no, that's that's 2012 air. It's expired. <laughs> okay, that's good to <laughs> we had, know. We had quite a bit of work to do on the uh, the system this winter, so we had pretty much everything down. We spent quite a few days running compressors, getting the quite large bank system topped back up, and uh, it's topped up and ready to go now. Awesome. Ready for divers to come out and start draining it off. So that sounds like a challenge to me. I agree. I've, I've often talked about throwing a uh, surface-supplied rig together and just tying it into the banks and see how long it can stay down on, on the banks. I'm well, guessing I, I'd have to find a way to eat. Yeah. Or could you use like a, have a, a bank set of doubles? That sounds painful. <laughs> <laughs> Only when you get out of the water. Very true. It'd be quite the configuration of the uh, the wing. Oh, yeah. Co- couple of 2,500-pound lift bags. It sounds like a uh, a Photoshop challenge. I think if it would I... actually have to be functional, though, to make it work. No Photoshop. No Photoshop. Sounds like it. Uh, I think we can. I still want to build the uh, the six-tank logo rig. It I seems... will uh, challenge Bill, and I'll tell him he can't do it. There's no way. <laughs> <laughs> I like that idea. 
We'll, we'll even buy him a hat if he doesn't. <laughs> nothing, nothing, nothing like sink, will, sinking four grand in the gear to get a $12 hat. Hey, it's about the challenge. So you planning on getting wet soon, Darren? Water? I, I don't know. I, I think I might just skip this year. <laughs> That's what it feels like. Um, it, it won't. I don't think it'll be this weekend. Uh, this is the first weekend of May, and I'm sure every town's got something similar, but this is our blossom time. So we've got just a whole lot of crazy going on. And then, you know, kids have two or three events stacked deep on the weekend. Sunday is a possibility. If I don't have company come in, I might be able to sneak something in. Now, is Mac out of town all weekend? Is he coming back next week? Do you know, Jim? I don't know. I just knew he was not going to be available tonight. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so all those who are worried, he's, he's still alive and kicking. He's just traveling and in South Carolina, got family down there. And Darren, something you missed. uh, I don't know if you've seen the cool new scuba gear that uh, has been recently announced. Oh no. What's that? DiveMav, the uh, company that brings us the great online computer training and has also brought us the Blue Buddy and Tech Buddy, Uh just announced a new Kickstarter program, an oxygen analyzer that works with an app on your iPhone. You have a hardware device that you attach to your tank, and it Bluetooth communicates to your iPhone to give you the readout of the oxygen content of your blend. Huh. Nitrox, buddy. Nitrox, buddy. Yep. Huh. I'm on the DiveNav's website. Let's see if they've, they've got that yeah, on there. You, you yeah, there it, it is. Kickstarter. They, they've listed it on Kickstarter and looking for backers. Wow, they're really going to town, aren't they? I'm going to look into Kickstarter and see if we can uh, use Kickstarter to kickstart a uh, rec search project. There's actually other websites that may be a little bit better. There's like two or three, and I, but I was thinking the same thing, Jim. Uh, but you've got Kickstarter, Indiegogo, uh, and there's a, f- a few more websites that are out there. Because there, well, there's one that I like where you act. It, it's like like there's one like 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 you know how we've joked about me getting a, a dry suit. Uh huh. There's actually one where you can raise money that way, but it's not as strict as the other. So an example was there was a girl who was a college student going to St. Kitts for veterinary medicine and her apartment got broken into and they stole her computer, her books, supplies. So she had about $3,000 in, in losses and she's able to put it up there and it can, it can also become a way for people to transfer money. So say hmm. you need help. It's a way for your family, instead of trying to wire stuff, you know, you can have, have it split up between the family to reach a goal. And in this uh-huh. particular case, you know, people in the community and those who knew her all contributed and, and I think her, she reached enough to cover what she had lost. And I'll have to, I'll have to find that website, Jim, but there's a, a few websites that do that. You can always post your uh, wetsuit, Darren. Yeah, yeah, there's something something like that. Well, see, the nice thing about uh, some of these is that even if they don't get fully funded, you can get the money. Because there's certain things that, uh, like there's times where you're going to do the program no matter what. And some and some of the Kickstarter projects, especially the ones with movies, what, what's happened is they've gotten to that phase where it might take them six months before they're going to get the funds otherwise. But if the Kickstarter gets there, they'll get it sooner. And that's really the point of Kickstarter. Uh, one thing I did read about Kickstarter is that the founders were getting upset 
because it was never meant to be a shopping cart. So Kickstarter projects, they never intended for you to actually get the project that you're kickstarting. Really? What, what they intended was that you would f- help fund it to enable it to happen. So really what you're supposed to be doing is, is providing money saying, yeah, I would like to see that happen. But the most successful Kickstarter campaigns are the ones where, like the Dive Buddy, where you're creating a product and as part of your donation, you get the product. And what Kickstarter was getting upset about is that some of these projects, even with the best intentions, uh, may fail. Uh, for example, there's an independent video game that somebody was working on and he you know, they raised like $20,000 and he got to a certain point of it and it just wasn't coming along on track. So what he did, the guy who received the money, is that he actually released it all open source and posted it out there and said, hey, here's what it is. If anybody wants to continue, they can. But we've essentially run out of funds. And then there were people complaining because they were intending on getting the game. And the Kickstarter founder said, it's not a shopping cart. You, That's not what the purpose was. It was to, mm-hmm. to create an opportunity for products that wouldn't have another way of, of being funded. For you to be a backer, not yeah. a buyer, but a backer. Exactly. So, but I, I kind of like that. I, I mean, I'm kind of selfish that way a little bit when I contribute to a Kickstarter project is, you know, the ones that you want to do are the ones where you can actually get it, where you, you kind of get the reward. Cause that's, mm-hmm. cause that's kind of the, if the product's normally a $200 product and by donating, you know, by you putting up money, you're getting the product essentially at cost. I like the $35 get the t-shirt. That's kind of a nice, nice looking t-shirt. Yeah. But so uh, my Nitrix buddy, it's a Nitrox analyzer. They, they have any idea how much it's going to go for? One ninety nine is what it looks like. What's a normal Nitrox analyzer go for? Uh, you can get in for as little as 300 Now, what's the sensors? That's probably the... The sensors... Yeah, this, the sensors yeah, are anywhere from 70 to 100 or more. So that's really what you're paying for. As a lot of it's the sensors, consumable. Everything else is just measuring voltage and calibration circuit. Yeah. Which is probably a single chip you can buy preset. We're an amazing time with technology and, and computer parts. I've got a few projects that I want to do similar to this. I, I built my O2 sensor, my analyzer. You did? Wow. So built it out of a project kit and bought the sensor and put it together. It wasn't that hard. I believe OxyCheck still has those kits available. Yeah, so they said we started working on the project almost a year ago. We had a proof of concept last summer. We made several demonstrations at DEMA 2012. We move forward to the product, uh, product duct, productization phase. They had a beta app for the iPhone 4S and a 3D printed prototype for the housing. Hmm. I just thought you'd be interested to see the cool new Scooby Gear. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. That's uh, that's very good. So, uh, what they're planning on doing is uh, between May and June, getting production molds. The board's done FCC certification app approval with a July 1st manufacturing batch. So $1, you can donate the pledge. You can do $5 pledge, which will get your name mentioned on the website. 35 is the T-shirt you were talking about, Dave. And those are actually pretty cool T-shirts. $99 will get you the Nitrox Buggy Base, which does Without, not include yeah, the O2 think, sensor. Yes. Now, our O2 sensor is pretty much a standard there are several of them that are very similar. It's all about the output signal from the sensor. So you probably that's probably something you have to look at. And then 159 will get you fully assembled and calibrated and free shipping in the U.S. 
And this does use the common sensors, uh, pretty much any of the ones that are compatible with the Teledyne R22Ss, which is the most common sensor used in the diving O2 analyzers. Yeah. You know, if I didn't need to be getting a dry suit, this would certainly be on my list. I think you'd benefit with the dry suit first. Yeah. I just got a text message from my wife uh, that my tech buddy arrived today. Oh, nice. So, so you... I'll be able to use that this weekend. Yeah. It'd be good to get the report on that. Excellent. Excellent. This looks very cool. Yeah, they've already got 61 backers. They've got $9,129 pledged to the $15,000 goal and only 27 days ago. So, th- And I think they're using Kickstarter how it's meant to be done. Uh, they're not going for the stars. Yeah, that $15,000 is probably just offsetting the cost of the tooling and the equipment and design. It gets you a nice initial batch. So then from that point on, it's your normal production that creates your money. You know, what's interesting is this has basically been out there for two days, and they've reached more than half their goal. Yeah. Well, you think about it. Like, Jim, you just said that your wife said you got it. Reputation has to play account into it as well. If you've got a couple successful projects, especially in a theme like this one being scuba diving, it gives you quite a bit of leverage and opportunity. So, Oh, and then somebody's got a comment on this said asking if they might integrate this in with the Blue Buddy. So what do you think, Jim? Should that Would that be something they should do, combine the, the apps together? Um, I'm trying to think. It of, makes sense to, put the app, to make the apps interchangeable or, or at least connected where you yeah. could put your nitrox mix over and incorporate it into your dive plan from the Blue Buddy or your dive profile well, of the Blue Buddy. Would, yeah, it would save you from typing it in. So you could like yeah. you could log your tank and say, this is tank one, and I'm now switching to tank one, or I use tank one. Yep. Yeah. And then that you would could be eventually, bad. you know, and if, and if you took that and put your pressure on there with the, net, with the tech buddy or the dive buddy, knowing, you know, if you could introduce, if you could enter what tank you were in, then you could also use it for a surface air calculation. Mm-hmm. So you would know eventually, you know, hey, I want to do a dive to this depth. Um, how much time am I going to have if I use my rule of thirds? How much time can I expect to be down there? Yeah. Well, that kind of remi- uh, makes me think, you know, last week we talked about the rebreathers and how the sensors were coming up where they were going with sensors for CO2 and oxygen. I was wondering how that plays into, would that make sense of doing that for open circuit? I mean, is there any value in measuring open circuit O2 and CO2 levels? You do that before you dive it. If it changes within the tank, you've got some chemistry going on in the tank that you probably shouldn't be diving it. Yeah. Well, that's true. I mean, the the tanks wouldn't change out the dive, but how about if you were measuring your exhalation? You could get your uh, work effort of work. You know, to know how much oxygen you're burning and, you know, monitor your CO2 uh, in a dive, potentially. Yeah. I think but, it would be a lot easier to capture it in a closed circuit than in an open circuit. But Yeah, because you're, you're recirculating all that air. Yeah, and, and I mean, and that's where you really need it. That's where the issue comes in in, in a closed circuit is not being able to scrub all that CO2 out with each breath. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, which you don't have the risk in the open circuit. Right. I didn't realize that they had a list of everybody who was a Kickstarter backer with the Blue Buddy. Oh, do they? Do they have Jim on there? Jim is on there, and as I look through it, it's kind of interesting. I know about six people that now have them. So you know who to borrow borrow some uh, gear from? I know who all to talk to about how's it working. 
Well, Darren, after I get a couple of dives in, we'll have to uh, make it a topic and feed it back to him. Certainly. Give me a second. I got to plug my computer back in. I had to share, share a cable with my daughter tonight. There was a couple interruptions in the show. I left mine at work today, which always seems to happen on a Thursday. Nice. So yeah, it'd, it'd be good to do a little bit of reviews on this these sort of projects. So along the lines of uh, upcoming diving, is the get wet getting closer to getting wet? Well, it's in my yard, and I stripped everything out of it. I bought the paint for it, so I've been traveling this week. I didn't get to put any paint on it, but uh, hopefully next week I'll be painting, and the week after that I won't be working, so we could probably do a test drive. I was going to say, you should be getting pretty close to the uh, retirement date, shouldn't you? Yeah, well, I've got five more days to work because tomorrow's a vacation day. So I've got to get up and go into the office five more times, and the 10th is my last day. Oh, wow. Then I'm going to join the likes of David Trotter and spend my time searching for shipwrecks. Awesome. If I'm just one one-hundredth of uh, the success that he is, I'll be happy. I would agree. Well, you have to think of some Kickstarter projects. Yeah, I've been kicking that idea around today. So we'll have to put some stuff on paper and bounce it off a few people and maybe get a, a teaser out on the podcast and see if uh, anybody's, you know, use them as a test market to see who would support it. I'm kind of thinking of doing like a Mel Fisher thing where you, you buy in for a year and, you know, we'll, we'll publish a book or publish a video um, if we find it. You get to be the first, you know, part of the first group to dive it, or you, you know, backers get first opportunity to dive, things like that. So yeah, I, I think that'd be an excellent way to do it. We can uh, do some shirts and do some bumper stickers, or do, some, you know, a support list and take opportunities for people to donate uh, funds from many different ways. Cut all the budgets. Certainly makes a lot of sense. Well, let's see here. Are we getting to that? point of the show hold on let me get my seatbelt seatbelt is fastened okay i'm ready darren you're ready i'm braced you're braced jeb and jethro live in the hills about five miles outside of town jeb asks jethro to go to town to pick up some lumber jethro walks five miles of town to the local lumber yard jeb says we're going to need some four by twos Jethro yells at the yardman. Do you mean two-by-fours, asks the yardman? Well, I don't rightly know. I better go ask Jeb, says Jethro. And he walks ten miles to the hills and back to town. Jeb says we're going to need two-by-fours, Jethro yells at the yardman. Now how many two-by-fours will you need, asks the yardman. Well, I don't rightly know. I, I better go ask Jeb, says Jethro. And again walks t- ten miles to the hill and back to town. Jeb says we're going to need about 40 of them, Jethro yells to the yardman. Now how long will you need them, asks the yardman. Uh, well, I don't rightly know. I guess I better go ask Jeb, says Jethro, and yet again walks the ten miles to the hills and back to the town. Upon returning, returning, Jethro says to the yardman, Jeb says you better give them to us for a while. We're going to be building a barn. Yeah. Ouch. God, I thought internet dropped for a second. I would grow, call it a groaner, but I knew it was coming. <laughs> you had an intuition. 
<laughs> I had an intuition. The fact that I sent you the joke a while back. But yeah, it's, you know. Yeah, I, I don't think it got I, I couldn't better. judge my reaction. <laughs> I was waiting for Dave. Broner or a moaner, Dave? I'll go with the, I'll call it a moaner. A moaner. Mm. Moaner. Well, there you have it. So until next time, go out there and get wet. We're missing Stay safe. <laughs> come on, Darren. Come on. Come on. Somebody Dave. come up with something. Let's go, Dave. Who didn't we kill? Dave, I'm giving you the chance to do the closing line here. You're blowing it. And Let's no do this by- one more. Let's do this one one more time. I'll be the Mac tonight, and okay. you can have the chance. You can have the opportunity, Dave, to do nice. the closing line. Here- I'll yield. I will yield to Dave. Okay, so so here we go. So until next time, go out there and get wet. Stay safe and don't kill anybody. And no four by twos were used forever in the making of this podcast. Oh. It fit with the joke. recording has been completed.